With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. This is James Altucher at the James Altucher Show. I'm really happy to have one of my favorite podcasters, writers, whatever, Adam Carolla on the show. Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. Adam, you've had, like, an incredible career. Like, some people are, you know, they have a TV show or they're a writer or they're a podcaster. You, I feel like you've done everything, and it's, and it's in such a way that people can learn from it. I feel like there's this mythology of, you know, go to college, get the job, work hard, then retire, and life is good. You've sort of, and you even say this in your book, President Me, you're a self-made millionaire, but you've, you've pieced it together from scratch. Like, in the very beginning, you met Jimmy Kimmel by being his, his boxing trainer. Like, how did that yeah. happen? Um, I had been studying comedy and attempting to do comedy with no real success um, for, for a number of years. And uh, I always wanted to get into radio, and I always wanted to learn about radio. And once I found out that there was going to be a boxing match between uh, Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Michael the Maintenance Man, another the morning, you know, morning zoo crap. Jimmy was the sports guy. Michael was the maintenance man. Uh, once I once I learned classic boxing that, match. Yes, I said uh, I want to be a part of this. And I didn't. I didn't go there to meet Jimmy. I, I went there just to see what the radio station looked like and, and try to learn something. I ended up hooking up with Jimmy, and we became very fast friends. And I, I think we both realized pretty pretty immediately that we were both would be good for each other. And since no one else seemed to care or appreciate us, we figured we could appreciate us he wasn't doing anything back then either and uh you know he got me into the into radio and uh, as i say the rest is history and and i think people don't appreciate it. it's not like you guys suddenly pitched the man show and were huge successes like you you mentioned in in one of your books i think it was your second book you guys are like traveling around the country sharing hotel rooms like you really were working every step of the way to, to climb that ladder in the entertainment industry. It wasn't like this, you know, entitled success. Yeah, you know, what people don't realize is, I, I don't think they can, I, I don't think people can intellectually understand that Jimmy Kimmel, there was a time when Jimmy Kimmel wasn't Jimmy Kimmel, and Nobody knew who he was and nobody cared who he was. You know, there's this, I, I suppose there's always this sort of feeling like someone is looking at Jimmy when he's 27 and winking and going, oh, yeah, one day, I know. It, it, it was quite the opposite. You know, people, uh, we proposed doing a radio show together at some point 
And uh, well, actually, what happened is, is somebody proposed I do a radio show, and I pulled that person aside and I said, I got a better idea. How about me and my buddy Jimmy Kimmel do the show together? And this guy, who had 20 years in the radio industry, <laughs> said, uh, Jimmy's more of a behind-the-scenes guy. He's not really what you call talent. <laughs> why, so, did you, why did you want to bring him along? Why didn't you want to do it yourself? Because I saw something in Jimmy very immediately and 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 Jimmy saw you know first off I felt a, a definitely a sense of allegiance to the guy for what he'd done for me over the over you know a pretty short period of time number one number two I liked him on a personal level I I just I wanted to hang with the guy and but I also thought here's a talented guy so why wouldn't I want to work with this guy we're very funny together what's wrong with that. But what? But nobody else at the time saw it, and I I understood. You know, they, that's the other thing too. Is you think everyone's just going to jump in line? They're they're not. You know, they're not just going to jump in line. Not at all. Not 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 by a long shot. As a matter of fact, you know, when we were pitching the Man Show around, we had we had people telling us. Well, what about what about the feminine point of view? And we'd say, well, there is no feminine point of view. And they'd go, well, what kind of show is this? And we'd say, well, well, now we have the show Girls. That's the feminine point of view. <laughs> right. We go, it's just called the man show. That's that's the show. And they'd go, well, no, 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 not so fast. You need the feminine point of view in there. And it, it just goes to show that look, most most people aren't 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 what you call visionaries. <laughs> Well, you know, it seems like with podcasting, you were able to to do away with the gatekeepers. You don't have to worry about any network executives. And I mean, I've I've seen in your books, you've pitched shows to CBS, NBC. You've dealt with so much rejection, but you keep, you know, as they say in the entrepreneurship world, you keep pivoting. You keep finding an alternative way to get your message out. And podcasting was perfect for you because there's no gatekeepers. Right. And that's you know then but look it it's it's good and it's bad in 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 the sense that it's put up or shut up that's what the podcast is you know people go you know hey it's great you don't have the man and you don't have the machine and you don't have to deal with this and you don't have to deal with that right but you also don't have to deal with a contract and a, and a steady paycheck you have to deal with anything you're on your own Right, you're on your own, which, like you say, has its pros and cons, but when it works, the pros outweigh the cons. I mean, look at you, Adam. You didn't go to college, or you you dropped out early on. You tried every job in the book. I don't even know why you started studying improv comedy. Maybe you could talk about that, but then you worked it and built up. I I was realistic about what I thought my strengths and weaknesses were and I think it's important to you know everyone so busy trying to pat everyone on the back and figure out how unique and special we all are it's also really super important to figure out what you suck at too and and also you know the other thing that always kind of cracked me up about about school and business is you know they go 
well, do you want to be a fireman? Do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a nurse? Do you want to be a school teacher? Um, they should tell you, I've always said this. I, you know, it's funny because I was talking to my kids, and I got into that. You know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And they said, uh, well, you know, I want to be a, a school teacher, or I want to be, I want to work at the zoo. You know, whatever, whatever kids tell you. And my answer was, okay, you, you know, you can work at the zoo, but if you want to work at the zoo, you can't drive daddy's car. And they said, you know, what do you mean? And I said, you're not going to be able to afford daddy's car. This car you love driving around in so much? Yeah. I said, you, you, go, you work at the zoo, you can't afford to drive this car, which is fine. Just you should know that when they say nurse, school teacher, doctor, lawyer, there's some pretty, pretty big gaps and pretty big differences in, in compensation for those jobs. And it never gets discussed. It's just, hey, I want to be a fireman. Well, okay, you can be a fireman. You ain't driving an Audi A7. That, that's funny. You know, I had a similar conversation with my dad when I told him I wanted to be a psychologist. And he said, you know, you're not going to make any money if you're a psychologist. And I said... Uh, that's okay. It's not all about money. And then he was just brutally honest with me. He said, well, you're not going to meet any women that way. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and he was just, and he was an ugly guy, and I'm an ugly guy, and he was just right. So I had to figure out a job that made me more money. So I don't know if yeah. it helped me make more meet more women, but we'll see. Well, your, da your dad was, re the point is your dad was realistic about your skill. And you're, I mean, I, it's and, true. No, I mean, that's look, you're, you're not doing, we can all agree that it is BS and nobody abides by telling every young African American boy he's going to end up in the NBA playing with LeBron James. That's irresponsible. The answer is hey, focus on your education. You're not going to be LeBron James. So, all right, maybe the kid's dream is to, is to play hoops for, for the Miami Heat. But you know what? That's not going to happen. And you wouldn't be a responsible teacher, parent, anything if you said it was going to happen. Well, you know, it's funny. There's, there's a lot of people always ask me, um, how do I find my passion? And the, the, the answer is not how do you find your passion. The answer really is, how do you start to get good at things? Because you're going to be passionate about what you're good at. You're going to enjoy what you're good at and what you get pleasure from. You'll get pleasure from what you're good at. So, so how did you find, what, what led you from all these kind of random jobs to improv comedy, which you started to study when you were relatively young? Well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't like reading very much, and I was pretty good at sort of making stuff up as I, as I went along. So anything that involved a script or scripted or reading or rehearsal was not something that this D minus student wanted to do, but anything that involved uh, making it up, essentially winging it as you go along, sounded kind of intriguing to me. So this is basically the you know comedic manifestation of never studying. I guess that's true because with improv, there's always the first rule is say yes. So 
It's like you, you come up with the answer, and that's the correct answer in improv. Whatever you say, right. that's the correct answer. Right. You get, this, yes, you get to skip the whole education part, the, the testing part. There's no test. Well, ultimately, there'll be a, a big test, which will be, do you, can you make money in this profession or, or not? I mean, that'll be the, that'll be the ultimate test. When did you first realize, and this is long after probably you met Kimmel, when did you first realize, hey, I'm making a living at this. I'm, I'm going to make some money at this. Um, as soon as Kimmel and I started doing what we were doing, or it was even before Kimmel for me because I was doing Loveline and that kind of thing, but as soon as I started doing what I was doing and doing it, Fairly, fairly well. I, I realized. Oh, this, this, and then I started looking around at the competition, and I realized the competition was weak. And that's when I realized I could, I could, I could do it. Who did you consider your competition? Everybody who had a sense of humor, and I didn't consider them to be that good. Like, quite honestly, I was. I, I, I realized. I was funnier than the people I was basically dealing with. I don't I don't mean in some sort of, you know, cage match comedy competition. I just mean That's not I, a bad idea though. I listened to Kevin and Bean on the radio and K Rock for years and I, I was a fan of theirs. And I still am a fan of theirs. But I realized pretty quickly I was funnier than they were. Now, you know, they have a different skill set, and I love them dearly. But I thought pretty quickly and pretty early on, I remember thinking, oh, I can, I can take these guys, and, you know, in a comedy competition. Now, I'm not as good a broadcaster as they are, and so on and so forth. But I sort of remember just kind of going, oh, I'm, I, I'm better than a lot of these guys. I don't know what the, then then it became a sort of I don't know if the hell I was going to waste my time. So you know, so I, so you were doing the Man Show and you mentioned in one of the books again I think it's the, your second book you were making about eight hundred dollars uh, a week doing the Man Show. Were you also doing stand up or shows around this? Like you mentioned at this point, you were making money. You started buying stuff. Uh, I don't. I don't think I said I was making $800 a week during the man show. Oh, $800 a show. MTV was paying. Oh, oh that, was, that, that was probably for Loveline. Oh, okay. The, it wasn't how much money I was making. It was more like I'm making consistent money. I'm working in an air-conditioned studio. I'm getting lunch for free. You know, it was more about that for me, that I just couldn't believe that... I would get paid for sitting down and interviewing people and get free lunch out of the deal. Just didn't I, I, I couldn't fathom it. And so this was this this uh, unbelievable thing. Uh, did is this the point where you said, okay, this is what I'm going to do, some form of this for the rest of my life, or do you did you still have doubts, or what was going through your head? Uh, not, 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 not a lot really ever goes through my head. I, 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 I don't believe that. I've read your books. A lot of things go through your head and we're going to get to that in a minute. 
Well, I, I, what I mean, uh, not to sound overly humble, but I just mean it's like I'm. Uh, it, it's always been sort of onward and upward. It, was, it never was about. I was never Jim Carrey sitting up on Mulholland, looking over the lakes of Los Angeles and writing myself a check for $10 million that one day I would cash. Like, I, I never I never got into that bullshit. I was just like, look, you know, you got a good sense of humor, and there are guys with a good sense of humor that manage to make a good bit of money, and then there's guys with a good sense of humor manage to commit suicide, over de- overdose on heroin. So, you know... Uh, the good sense of humor part is, is nice, but also be nice if you could kind of point it in a direction that worked out versus flame out. And I, I feel like you kept you kept working it, and you were rejected from things quite a bit. Like, you pitch a CBS show, it gets rejected. You pitch an NBC show, it gets rejected. How did you keep sort of, come, you know, keep going through coming up with ideas trying out new things like what were sort of your incentive to keep trying new new ideas out uh well that that stuff is you know the 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 cbs nbc you know i did a fox animated pilot that i loved i thought it was great people can go to youtube and type in uh bircham i think it's b-i-r-c-h-u-m and and watch it i loved it and it got rejected. It's a constant. It's it's not a. It's not like well, you know, I used to get rejected in the beginning, and now, now there's this, and that's an ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. I'm, uh, I, I get rejected for stuff all the time. Three, three quarters of stuff I try out doesn't work out <laughs> to to this day. It used to be seven percent. Now I've cut it down to seventy one percent, but it's. And- the same, the same thing. It doesn't change. I think people in general are afraid of that, though. So you, you, people know that when they take their nine to five cubicle job, say, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like they stay in their comfort zone because it reduces that percentage of rejection. You, you have to Definitely, be willing to break out of that you know, comfort zone to to really succeed. I don't, but you know, the whole thing about rejection is it's kind of like. I don't know. I, cop writing you a chicken ticket for rolling for a four-way stop. Like, I, how personally do you want to take that? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. I, I don't, I, you know, CBS, NBC, Fox, they pass on 100 shows a year. And then the next year, they pass on another 100. And since I got passed up uh, by CBS and NBC, they passed on 2,000 shows. I, I'm, I don't, I'm not sitting around licking my wounds. I know those shows would have been successful. I know the ideas were good. I, I felt strongly about them. I gave it all I had to give. I, I never, you know, the only time I feel bad is when I feel like I didn't do a good job. I don't feel that way. I felt like I did a good job, and it didn't work out. So, so I want to I want to talk but about I don't, your most. I don't feel. I don't. I don't. I don't look at it as re, as being rejected. Right. So, so in your last book. President me, the America that's in my head, you describe essentially your vision of America if you were president. And it's I sort of say, and you sort of said, it's half joke, half real. But what I, what I really see in this book is you're kind of underlining, you know, all the ways in which America has felt 
entitled or dumbed down and you come up with corrections and fixes. And I, I just want to read my favorite line from the book because I think it's really true. So you say in the book, uh, somewhere in the middle, if I get a hooker, I want her to come with a vagina. And what you're referring to is the one guy on the film set who was a vegetarian. So the whole crew had to eat vegetarian food. And you, and it's right. sort of like this idea that everything has become, everybody becomes entitled. Everyone wants to kind of get the, the, the lowest common denominator of every situation. But you want the real thing. And, and Americans yes. sort of kind of gotten dumbed down as a result. Yeah, I, I, I listen, I, when you do a, a, a film crew, a movie or whatever it is, you have to get a vegetarian, you know, you, if someone's going to Quiznos on a sandwich run, they get a box of beef sandwiches, they get a box of chicken sandwiches, and they get a box of, of veggie sandwiches, except for there's 45 people on the crew and there's only two vegetarians. And the two vegetarians ain't into eating. So there's a whole box. At the end of the day, there's a whole box of vegetarian sandwiches that nobody wants sitting there. And the sad part about the whole endeavor is the next day when they go on a lunch run, they do the exact same ratio again, which dr drives me insane. But this is just an example of... In general, the dumbing down of America, the lack of common sense. And you mentioned, for instance, all the anti-smoking marketing messages and public service announcements and everything we get when everybody already knows that smoking causes cancer. There's not a single person in America who doesn't already know that. So why are, are is America still spending billions trying to convey this message? Like, throughout the book, you bring up examples where... Just the dumbing down of America has cost us billions or trillions of dollars. I, I believe it's, you know, I don't really think of it as a dumbing down of America. I think of it as a sort of almost disdain that our politicians have for us, which is they're not interested in fixing anything. They're not interested in correcting anything. They're really, their main interest is just saying, look, we're taking a you know, a controversial stance against people not smoking. Big f deal. Like, that's, their, that's their thing. They don't really care about you. They don't care about your health. They don't care about your well-being. They really care about getting through life without getting into trouble, saying anything controversial, and, or even doing anything. You know, I drive through Los Angeles all day, every day. We have these multi-million dollar freeway signs, these big multi-million dollar freeway signs. They're electronic, they're computerized, there's hundreds of them. They probably cost millions of dollars a year to keep working and keep active. And all they ever say is click it or ticket on them. Now, so what are they saying? Put your seatbelt on. To who? The hundreds of millions of people that are driving underneath them with their seatbelts on as they speak? What are we talking about here? Every single car that's manufactured has a placard and a chime and a light-up thing that goes off when your seatbelt is not on. So what the f*** do we need this for? Right. So oh, We don't so need that, it. That's... Well, what I'm saying is it's a perfect example. Obviously, there's not a human being you know who either it's, – it's one of two groups. 
either you wear your seatbelt, which is 99.9% of everyone we know, we all wear our seatbelts. Then there's the 1% that doesn't wear their seatbelt. And guess who's not going to be affected by a sign that says click it or ticket? The, the rebel biker who says, I ain't wearing a seatbelt when I'm driving the old lady's car. So that's the one that doesn't give a shit about your click it or ticket campaign. So how many people is this affecting? The answer is zero. There's nobody who there's nobody who isn't either wearing their seatbelt or committed to not wearing their seatbelt who is passing by your stupid sign. But, you you know, could- it, it's not just the politicians, though, that you point out. Like, like for instance, you have one, one, one mention, and this is just one among many, no destination or theme weddings. People in general, like, I, I personally can't stand being invited to a destination wedding. It's like the biggest waste of time in the world. And you're right, this should be outlawed. But it's not just politicians, it's the in general entitlement that people feel like, oh, I'm getting married, so I sh- people should come to wherever I invite them to and dress however I want them to to celebrate my day. Like, you, you address this general entitlement that people seem to have across America. Well, I mean, obviously, it starts at the school, it starts with the kids, it starts, it starts with, with the parents. Yeah, I mean, it starts with next to nothing. And now, I mean, when you come to something like a wedding, look out now, now that's, that's, that's a real, I mean, if you're going to make a big deal out of the nothing occasion, imagine what you're going to make out of the things that are actually occasions like wedding. Well, I've lost friends not going to their Hawaii wedding. I'm in New York. There's no way I'm going to fly to Hawaii for like July 4th to go to their little half-hour celebration. I agree. So, so why did you, why did you title this President Me? Like, obviously, there's a little bit inside of you that really does want to make change and, you know, even for fun of it, run for president. You should, you should make a little party and for fun of it, run for president. Well, I would, but I think, I think my kids would would sue me if I, if I did. (laughs) You can make a little constitution, a little bill of rights. Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, you know, with as many things as I got going, I got to kind of pick and choose my my moments. I mean, you know, people say, oh, sounds fun, or wouldn't it be fun, or it'd be fun. It's like, yeah, I I don't have enough time, unfortunately, right now for the stuff that would be fun. I got to do the stuff that would be effective. Well, you know, look, your podcast is both fun and effective. So let's let's talk about that. You started off r- right away. You were like the most popular podcast ever, right? Like you're in the Guinness Book of World Records. You got to 60 million podcast downloads in 2010, and they they put you in there. I think did they close the record on that? Like, did they say no more? We're, we're that's it. No, they, anybody who who's doing a podcast is is more than welcome to, you know, take a, take a stab at the, at the record. (laughs) I don't, I don't think they do that with fattest man or tallest man. (laughs) And I don't think they do that with podcasting either. If you'd like to make a a run at it, you're perfectly free to make a run at it. But clearly, clearly you enjoy it. You've been doing it. You're, you're one of the the first guys to, to start consistently doing it. What's, what makes your podcast good? I mean, of course there's you, but what what do you 
I'm not saying there's a magic formula, but what else? What else goes into making a good podcast? I'm I'm asking advice here. I I I think if I was to give advice to anybody as it as it pertained to doing a podcast, I would simply say do do a lot of it. <laughs> do it every day. Don't you know? Don't don't make it. Don't make a hobby out of it. You know, a lot of people do it in a very nonchalant kind of kind of way. You know, a very you know catch as catch can kind of kind of way. And I I would say do it and do it do it do it early and do it often. And and you know if it if it if it works, great. If it doesn't work. Uh, you're, you're you're hopefully doing it because you love it anyway. So it, it, it'll be academic if it doesn't if it doesn't work. In other words, right. And so so now recently, of course, there's this situation where some guy, more or less out of the blue, claims to own the patent on podcasting. So he adjusted his earlier patent in 2009 to claim podcasting. And now he's going after you, Mark Marin, and a bunch of others saying you guys owe him money because you podcast and he owns the patent. And you've been raising money to, to fight this battle. It's a court case in Texas. But already the, the, the patent office has said, basically, this guy probably doesn't own the patent like what's what's the status of this of this case right now it's costing us a lot of money and and legal fees and um it doesn't look like there's much of a case there but unfortunately to to prove that we're gonna have to spend a whole bunch of money so it's you know it's kind of good in one way that'll probably be good for other pat you know other people that come after us but it'll it'll be bad in the in the sense that 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 you know we'll we'll have shelled out a lot of money in the in the interim, right? Because clearly he can't win. Like the 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 patent and trademark office has said has basically implied this is not a patent, and so even if he wins in civil court, he's not going to win ultimately on appeal. I I don't I don't think I don't think there's any way this guy can win at all uh but again that doesn't mean he's not gonna charge us a gazillion dollars in legal fees to find out that he couldn't win (laughs) why why uh, and and again this is me being naive but why pay legal fees why not let him win in local court and then just appeal you know I, i i i basically said the same question if the guy doesn't have a case why are we even fighting it well the, the 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 point is is as it's been explained to me the the thing the thing goes off uh you know i don't know september and we're either it, it, we either show up or we don't and we have to show up and we have to mount uh a case otherwise we're going to lose and if we lose it can be millions of dollars so it's look it's one of these things where i'm with you and i'm like what the hell and who we talking to here but um (laughs) i unfortunately i have to listen to the to the lawyers on this one 
I, I pretend to be a lawyer on, on Twitter and, and usually give very good legal advice, but I will, I will take your word for it that your lawyer said differently. But, but let me ask you this. So, so I'm going to play the devil's advocate for a second. Let's say somebody invents something, but they don't have the financial resources to, to use what they invent. So let's say someone invents the smart toilet. Like you pee in a toilet and it diagnoses whether you have cancer or not. But they don't have the financial resources to create the smart toilet. And later, I don't know, GE creates the smart toilet. Shouldn't the patent inventor get something in that case? So uh, so this is different well, I, I than, think, than your think, case. But I'm just all, trying to understand I mean, patent reform as you see it. Well, you know, look, I, I, I believe it's like anything else. Like we go, look, should do we want companies taking advantage of their employees and locking them in sweatshops and blah, blah, blah. And you go, no, 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 we don't. So we're, we're for unions. Right. We're for the spirit of a union and all the good things a union can do. But at some point when the teacher molests the student and we can't fire him because of the union, then we realize, well, it's probably gone too far then at that point. I don't think anybody... Is, has any fundamental problem with the notion of people keeping their intellectual property and so on and so forth. I, I think everybody is, you know, down with that, so to speak. And, and, and so, you know, the answer isn't, well, we should have, there should be no such thing as a patent. Like, of course there should be things, uh, some, there should be a patent. And of course there's a place for people protecting their intellectual property and so on and so forth. The question is, is when do you cross the line? Where does it go too far? You know, I mean, I think that's something we're running into as a nation constantly. Like, should we pay taxes? Yeah, of course we should pay taxes. Um, is, is our taxes a good thing? Yeah, they pay for the roads and the schools. Good. Now, are these guys now going nuts and overtaxing everyone and basically forcing them to move out of the state of California? Yes. So, you know, we can all agree on taxes, and we can all agree that we should pay taxes. But but when it starts to spin out of control, that's when there's an issue. And so here, here's starting- a case where this guy had this patent for distributing audio cassettes, and he mod- after po- long after podcasting started, he modified his patent to include podcasting Simply because everyone else forgot to do that, and now he's taking advantage of it. That's that's it, right? Now, um, you know, if you came up with the line "Where's the beef?" and uh, I started printing up T-shirts and selling them, saying "Where's the beef?" and I didn't cut you in on it, then that's wrong. Uh, on the other hand, what this guy's doing is wrong. So there's always going to be, you know, that, I think that's the problem with everything is everybody says, well, you, you, you don't think these, these people should be running wild in the streets, you know, and everyone just ripping off everyone else's idea. And it's like, no, I don't. Because b- believe you me, I, I have Mangria. That's my product. Uh, I, I invent things too. And I don't want someone else coming out with their own line of Mangria, line of uh, you know, signature cocktail and calling it Mangria. That's 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 mine. I've copy I've copywritten it. So I I understand that you can't you know have my podcast and start selling it to people. 
uh, you know, selling selling uh, commercial time against this, that's mine. So I I understand how that goes. This, unfortunately, is not that. This is sort of a case where he kind of came up with his patent after the fact, which I don't know the exact laws, but it seems wrong, like after people have been podcasting for 10 years, to suddenly redefine your patent to describe podcasting, that's what seems incorrect to me. Well, it's not incorrect. It's a, a, a obvious play for cash, <laughs> which is what these guys do, which is why we don't like it. Has anyone paid any- him? Uh, he's had various suits with various entities and gotten, 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 you know, some gotten paid, some he's won. Yes. But, but not podcast though. No podcaster has paid him. No, no, no pod. We're only, we're the only one he sued so far. Okay. So, but, but the EFF is helping you. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is helping kind of deal with the patent and trademark office with this. And they, they've pushed this as well. Oh yeah, they're 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 behind this too, but they're not behind us per se. Right. So, are you going to go to Texas in September and actually like be testifying court? Uh, most likely. Yeah, that's probably what it's probably going to come down to. That. Yeah. So I mean, so I don't want to, but <laughs> yeah. What's gonna? Let's say. Let's take a worst case scenario. Let's say he wins, and somehow or other, it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, and they say, "Yeah, this guy, you owe him money." Like, what's gonna happen? I, I really have not even considered that. I, I don't. I, I, it, 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 it's virtually impossible that this guy win in any real court environment. Uh, with us, it, it's just it's virtually it's virtually impossible because he just does not have a case uh, in right. terms of you know damages uh, caused on, on our behalf. He just literally does not have a case. Well, so, and, and, uh, and I've been involved in other patent cases, and I can tell you when the when the patent and trademark office says you don't have a patent, then it doesn't matter. What happens in civil court in a local civil court? There's no money that's going to be exchanged, right? And and I don't. I, I listen. I, I I am not worried at all about the case. What I'm worried about is spending over a million dollars to prove there is no case. Right. So what's what's the website people can go to? I know people can donate to your your case. What's the website people can go to? Uh, they can go to fundanything.com and uh, forward slash patent troll. They want to find out about this. Okay, that's good to know. So so I want to go for one more second back to your book, President Me, because there's another yeah. line that really intrigued me uh, in that book. Uh, you, you're talking about the Arab Spring and all the revolutions that were happening and the people dragging you know, dead bodies through the street and, you know, a civilized country should basically ask, and you say this, what would Switzerland do? And I thought that was a very interesting line because I don't really know, and I don't know if you know, like, I didn't really know what's, how, what Switzerland would do because I don't, I, 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 it took me a while. I don't think Switzerland has a, a president. Like, I don't know how they run their country. Do you know how they run their country? 
No, but uh, I, I... I don't think anyone I, knows. I've asked around after I read this line in your book. No one actually knows how Switzerland runs their country. I, I don't know, but all I know is, is um, you never hear the evening news start off with, you know, trouble out of Switzerland, <laughs> and especially... You know, not every other news. I mean, every other newscast you turn on is trouble in the Middle East, right? Yeah. So so what would Switzerland do? Well, I want to, again, thank you for coming on the podcast, exchanging ideas. I, I want to recommend your book, President Me, which I really enjoyed. I All, all of your books I've enjoyed, but this one I, I very much enjoyed. I think my audience will enjoy it. And also, again, I encourage people to go to fundanything.com slash patent troll. I think this is an important case, particularly if you enjoy this podcast, because if you lose, Adam, everyone else sort of loses in this industry, so it's an an important case. And uh, again, I really appreciate you spending the time and coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time as well. All right. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you next time. Bye. Next time. Bye-bye. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.